You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We've been looking at prayer and thanksgiving, and this morning uh, we're going to take a look at hope. Um, got all sorts of things. I could, I could talk to you for about three hours, but you don't have the grace for that. <clears throat> and I, I won't see you next week if I do, so let's not do that. But if you have your Bible, let's, I, I want us to, to get a, a biblical backdrop, and then I've got an article that I want to read to you, and I, I want to give us some exhortations uh, from a pastor to his congregation. We're looking at renewal, the restoration of hope. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood, which really means fully knowing. You fully comprehended God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with all the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we invite you to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We acknowledge you, Holy Spirit, that you're the spirit of truth and that we need the word and your presence for the word to be fully activated and alive among us. So come, give us ears to hear what you're saying to the church today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What's interesting when we look at where we've been as a church We've been pursuing the king and his kingdom intentionally. If you thought of faith, hope, and love, what would you say is the predominant message that you've heard over the last year? Love. When you say love, love has been the predominant message that we've heard over the last year. We've... uh, been pursuing the relationship with the Father who loves us, with a Savior who loved us so much he laid down his life for us. 
with the Holy Spirit who loves us so much that he comes and he walks alongside of us day by day. And we're invited into a relationship with him uh, that, that can only be expressed as step-by-step relationship. Uh, we've looked at the presence and the power of, of God, his kingdom among us. And we've been pursuing that. We've been pursuing the manifestation of him using us and giving us revelation, information, uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, uh, prophetic words to, to release and see the powerful effect that they have in people's lives. We've been doing all of that. Amen for that. But this week I've, 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 I've gone back to C.S. Lewis and, and his little book, Screwtape Letters. And I was, I was just kind of perusing. Actually, it had reason to come up a couple times this week as people were uh, unaware that there's an actual adversary, an enemy that is trying to make life as difficult as possible. The scripture says that, that the evil one comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Okay, he, he, he wants to do harm to you. Not just your neighbor, he wants to do harm to you. And a lot of times the reason why he wants to do harm to you is in order, if he's going to be able to reach the next generation, he's got to harm this generation. And so if he harms us as a grandparent, it affects our, our, our children and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And so we see that he's, he's being intentional in his, in his assault. And so C.S. Lewis wrote this little fiction that is just full of revelation of some of the spiritual dynamic of, of warfare. And it's this little bitty demon, Wormwood, who's being schooled by an older Uncle Screwtape demon. And Uncle Screwtape is writing to little Wormwood all these things. And when you read it, you got to read it backwards because the enemy is Jesus and prospering the kingdom is making darkness and hell advance. And, and he shows so many interesting things. But I, I, the reason I thought of this is I, I, I was looking at how we've been going, what we've been pursuing, and uh, we've seen some breakthrough. We've seen people minister uh, very, very uh, wonderfully with prophecy, all sorts of, of, of good revelation. My heart has been changed forever as a result of some of you growing in prophecy, uh, Rebecca Emmerich in particular. And I still thank the Lord for the prophetic word that she gave me. And those kinds of things have, have been so amazing. So how are we doing? Whenever you're advancing, the enemy doesn't like it. The kingdom of darkness never likes it. And I never like to focus on the enemy. I, I, I try not to give the evil one any time at all. But I think it's important that we don't get deceived and, and we don't get surprised and that we're not caught unaware of the evil one's schemes. And so that gets, gets us to today. Because what's the best way to attack a community of believers who is pursuing the king and his kingdom who's pursuing an intimate relationship with the bridegroom and the father, who wants the presence of the Holy Spirit and the intimacy that the Holy Spirit affords us when we receive him, his gifts, his graces, 
uh, the gracelets of the kingdom that are deposited within us, how would you go about attacking a community like that? Mm-hmm. As I go through life and I have these different areas that come at me that I know Satan's been trying to push, I've come to the realization that what God wants from me is just to say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's how I release it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when there's offense, there's insult, there's... Uh, attacks, those kind of things by other human beings. Yeah, being able to release. You'll find that the enemy knows how to pursue wherever it is that you're wanting to see God move most. What is it that you want to see him do more than anything else? Whatever the passion of your heart, whatever the cry of your heart, whatever the pursuit in the kingdom that you have, you can, you can know that the enemy is going to be and has been subtly working on that area and will try to make some direct assaults if he thinks he can take your heart out. If he can bring a discouragement, a disappointment, a doubt, an unbelief, if he can rob that which the Holy Spirit is is building in us, then he's won. Hmm. So I came across an article by John Eldridge. He's one of my favorites. Wrote uh, Wild at Heart, great man's book. We love it. And uh, in it, he, he entitled this The Restoration of Hope. And you'll see in the article, the relationship of faith, hope, and love. Hmm. So I'm gonna read it to you. <clears throat> Pretend like you're really paying attention. Oh, yeah. Okay. See if we can get through this. <clears throat> we could share you some hope right now. I was chatting with a friend last week about the things going on in our lives and in the world when she said this. We weren't talking about major loss or suffering, just the way everyone seems to be facing some hard thing or another. There was a pause in the conversation and my friend, normally a very buoyant woman, said, we could sure use some hope right now. We sure could. And all the people said. Mm -hmm. Hope is one of the three great treasures of the human heart. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. A life without faith has no meaning. A life without love isn't worth living. But a life without hope is a dark cavern from which you never escape. These things aren't simply virtues. Faith, hope, and love are mighty forces. And hope is the cornerstone. The fate of the other two depend upon hope's resiliency. I've never, ever heard anyone articulate it like that. Here he's going with what the passage we've already read, verse 3 through 5. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. There's faith and there's love. The faith and love that spring 
from hope. Right on. Hmm. It's just been blowing my mind as I've, as I've, I've just meditated on the connection between love, faith, and hope. Wow. They, they get so interlocked, so overlapped, that they all three have to be present for the essence of what they intend and they're given for to become a reality. The enemy only has to talk, attack one, one or the other. That's why I, I, when, I, when I look at this, it's my prayer has been, Lord, I want to love. I want to love as Jesus loved. I want to get so close to you that the way in which Jesus was love, you know, I'll be just like him. So I won't have to think, now what would love do in this situation? And, and then figure out the three steps that love would do. But I would just naturally do because love has become the very core of my being that I, I don't speak without being loving. I don't act. I don't, I don't even sneeze without it coming from love. Hmm. But I never understood the importance of hope. I find that over the years, my, my faith level has increased in proportion to my intimacy with God. The more intimate I am with the Father, the more intimate I am with Jesus, the more I see faith coming as the fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness, yeah. But to understand that hope is so important. I, I, I don't know if it's something that has come at the expense of those that have gone before, if it's something within my family lineage that my father passed on to me, I think it might be something that dad passed. It, there is a, an ability to hope against hope. There's an ability to hope when things, everything around should say, there's no hope. There's always hope. I thank the Lord for that. I thank him that he planted that deep in my heart. I think if you're going to be a pastor, you better have hope because uh, circumstances and uh, things that are on the surface can change so quickly and things can go south so fast. But it's amazing what happens when you still have hope. The enemy can try to, try to get you not to be loving. He'll try to rob you of faith. But if you still have hope, they both can be regenerated. They both can be started again. Back to John. Isn't that surprising? Both our faith and our love spring from or result from our hope. But of course, hopelessness makes it impossible to care. You know the verse, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But we never go on with the second half of that verse, do we? A desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Wow. See, hope and desire are connected. There's, there's a main connection between hope and desire. Without hope, faith is just a doctrine gathering dust on our shelves. The highest things that make a heart worth having and a life worth living. They rise and fall upon the condition of our hope. 
which makes hope the mightiest force of all. Love is the noblest, hope is the linchpin. It would be good to pause and ask yourself, how is my hope these days? The answer may be startling to you because it's such a very precious thing, you wanna be careful with your hope. So much of the disheartening and devastation that the soul endures comes from misplaced hope. Have you ever misplaced your hope? Hope is one of your heart's greatest treasures. It's a dangerous thing to let your hope go wandering. Hmm. Now, Christianity was supposed to be the triumphant entry of an astonishing hope breaking into the world. A hope above and beyond all former hopes. An untouchable, resilient hope. But I'll be honest, far too often what, what gets presented as the hope of Christianity feels more like a bait and switch. We understand that you will eventually lose everything you love, that you already have lost so much. Everything you love and hold dear, every precious memory and place is going to be annihilated, but you get to go to this new place up above. It's like a game show where you don't win the car or the European vacation, but you get the luggage and the kitchen knives. Mm -hmm. This is the hope that is the anchor of the soul. Hebrews 6, 19 says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. The world doesn't believe it, and we must understand why. When you consider all the heartbreak contained in one children's hospital, one refugee camp, one war-torn city in one day, and then multiply by that by the factor of the entire human race times history, it would take a pretty wild, astonishing, and breathtaking hope to overcome the agony and trauma of this world. Just trying to encourage you today. Paint an optimistic picture for you. Enter Jesus and his gospel. The way he chooses to describe the wonderful news of the kingdom of God is absolutely stunning. Matthew 19. I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or ch wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The At the renewal of all things, the coming kingdom means the renewal of all things. That's how Jesus understood it. That's how he described it. The recreation of the world when the world was made new, according to the message translation. A promise so breathtaking, so shocking and beautiful, I'm stunned that few, that few people even know of it. Oh yes, we've heard quite a bit about heaven, but Jesus is clearly not talking about heaven. 
He's talking about the recreation of the earth we love. We have been looking for the renewal all our lives. It has been calling to us through every precious memory and every moment of beauty and goodness. It is the promise whispered in every sunrise, every flower, every wonderful day of vacation, the birth of a child, the recovery of health, the secret to your unhappiness, the secret to your being and the answer to the agony of the earth are one and the same. We are longing for the kingdom of God. We are aching for the restoration of all things. That is the only hope strong enough, brilliant enough, glorious enough to overcome the heartache of this world. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. All right. The renewal of all things is the most beautiful hope, glorious promise ever made in any story, religion, philosophy, or fairy tale. And it's real. And it's ours. Our job is to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. So grab hard and hold tight, friends. Hmm. When I read that article, it just kind of powerfully messed me up in a good way. It was like, yeah, I'm dealing with a, a community that has been hit and been hit and been hit. We've had loss. We've had disappointment. We want to see God come in healing and glorious miracle powers. We pray and then we bury. I'm thinking, Lord, the enemy is trying to steal our hope after setback, after disappointment, after all that we've gone through, the enemy is trying to steal our hope. He knows that if he can take hope, there's not going to be much for love and faith to spring from. And so he tries to steal our hope. Hope is the restoration of all that we've lost, all that we failed to see that was promised in the kingdom. We've had, we've had some, some brothers that have come and, and, and have helped us get a, an understanding that we, do, we, we are in a battle and, and that some of the battles, it appears that we've lost, but we win the war. But the key for us is what do we do after we've taken our best shot and it didn't come to pass? Do we lose heart? Do we lose hope? Do we... Do we do we nurture the foundation of doubt and unbelief? Do we question the goodness of God? Do we allow the enemy to start bringing in a, such a, a contamination of truth based off of the circumstances of our reality to where all of a sudden our circumstances carry more weight and authority than his word does? I think one of, the, one of the difficulties for so many of us 
is that we haven't been living in the word. When you don't live in the word and the Holy Spirit is ministering the word to you and you've got this beautiful dynamic duel of the word and the spirit bringing truth to you and revelation to you in the midst of all the circumstances that's trying to trump the truth. It's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. How do we hold on to what we know is true because we've seen it in the word and the spirit has borne witness with our spirit that that is true for you. We call those promises, promises. And what do we do in the natural when we have someone who's made a promise to us and they haven't come through on the promise? We put a yellow flag beside them. And if it's something that was extremely important to us, we might put a red flag beside them. And if it's something that goes beyond the yellow and the red flag, we might have to black flag them. And the enemy's trying to get us to do the same thing with our relationship with God and with the truth of the, of the scriptures. He's working through the circumstances and the disappointment and the heartache. You know, there's, there's been times in the foolishness of my young ministerial career that I would try to provoke God into doing what he needed to do because I knew what he needed to do. Why did I know what he needed to do? Because I wanted it that way. And so I would do things that I found out I can't manipulate him. I can't manipulate him. But at the same time, as I've grown, I've realized that what he has borne witness to in his spirit, to my spirit, out of his word, whether it's a word that's given or whether it's the word that's written, there is some, there is a foundation to stand upon. Come whatever. Don't let your hope don't let your hope be assaulted. You have to know that what's true of God is true. And I make the de declaration today that God is good. He is good all the time. Yeah. He is absolutely good. Right on. And when my life gets sprinkled with ugliness and with lies and with evil, it just reminds me that I've got an adversary who hates me, who wants to kill me, wants to steal from me. And right now the things that he could steal from me isn't so much finances. It's not material things. The things that he can steal from me is the disappointment that moves me down the path of unbelief and doubt. Now, the church has come a long way. When I was, when I was growing up in the church, we couldn't be honest about what we were, where we were. We couldn't be honest if we had doubt or fears or if there were anxieties going on inside of us. We had to put this false facade of victorious Christian uh, who reads his Bible and prays and, and attends church. And so I'm triumphant and victorious in that. But we've come a long way. We can be honest that we're afraid. We can be honest that we have fear. We can be honest about our doubts. 
It's okay to be honest. Because when we're honest about where we are, that's when we can start to deal with where we are and move in the direction that the Father would have for us. The Holy Spirit will take us and escort us step by step. But we have to be honest that the adversary is trying to steal our hope. He just doesn't want us to have a little fear and a little doubt. What he's trying to do is is come in and sabotage the very springboard of faith and love. He wants to rob hope. I know a little bit about hope. Elpis in the Greek. It's I named my first church. The only church I ever planted was Living Hope Christian Fellowship. It's about a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope is something that is birthed out of our salvation. And out of that, it becomes something that lives within us. And we have to steward that hope. And when the enemy paints circumstances and situations and tries to bring sorrow upon sorrow, uh, evil upon evil, we've got to realize frustration, disappointment. We've got to realize that we have to steward our hope. If we ever want to see love and faith rebound to where they need to be. So in some ways we've been hit. We can stay down for the count of 10. And we've got all sorts of people saying, shh, shh, stay there, stay there. If you get up, you're just going to get beaten up like Rocky. No, they wouldn't say that, would they? Because when Rocky gets up and he gets beaten up, he still wins. (laughs) Okay. But we've been hit. And it's okay to acknowledge we've been hit. What are we going to do? I felt that the Holy Spirit was making an appeal to us corporately today to say, I want to reestablish the foundation of hope in your heart. And out of that, faith and love will continue. It's not like you're going back to square one But without the foundation of hope, faith and love can't continue to develop even to where we've already come. But there's so much more. I I love the worship team talking about all the more stuff, the more that's that's there, because there is so much more. So I'm not going to ask you to come forward because I think it applies to every human being in the room. We all need the Holy Spirit to breathe upon the hope in our heart. So Suzy Q, if you'll throw on some background music. We're gonna close with just waiting on the Lord and allow him to breathe new hope, a living hope. Go back as far as you need to go back. If you have to go all the way back to your, to your uh, moment of new birth, go back to that. Because living hope starts at the new birth.
everything that the king and his kingdom has to offer is ours. But we live in a situation where it's already and not yet. We live in that, that unique time period in all of history where Jesus has come and salvation has begun, but his second coming has not come to where everything will be absolutely perfect. And so we live in this tension where the kingdom is alive, but so is the enemy. And so we have this incredible war and it's a war for your heart. Oh, he'll, he'll take your kids, he'll destroy your car, your hot water heater. He'll do all sorts of things if, if, if he can get away with it. But the most that he wants is the hope that's in your heart. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We acknowledge that you are good and that you are faithful. And we invite you now to come to each and every one of us individually, specifically to that place in our heart where the enemy has been assaulting hope. And as a result of that, we haven't been able to spring into faith and we haven't been able to spring into love the way we have been. But we say, oh Lord, would you restore the foundation of your goodness, our hope. You are the hope of glory. It's just not that we're looking forward to heaven when we die. We're praying, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth today, just as it is in heaven. We are thinking renewal, Lord. Our hope in all that we've lost from loved ones is that there is a renewal coming and that you want to restore everything. For those of you that have lost loved ones, what does that look like for the Lord to restore those that we've lost? What does that look like? Hmm. We know that we'll be reunited in heaven. But I think the Holy Spirit wants to take that and apply it beyond just the future. I think he wants to restore today. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, only you can restore. Only you can restore that which has been lost that which has been suffered, that which has been stolen, we ask, Lord Jesus, that the release, the full release of your Holy Spirit to restore all things, that hope would be rebirthed, that hope would be fortified, that there would be a strengthening of hope in us because, Jesus, you are our hope of glory.
I shared these in a message a little while back. These are kind of identity statements that oftentimes when we don't have a healthy identity, we have enough theology and we know enough of the word, but we don't have enough reality in our life, experiential knowledge, that we say things like this, I'm a child of God, but... We need to cut the butt. I'm a child of God, but look at what a mess my finances are. I'm a child of God, but I'm 50 pounds overweight and I feel like such a failure. I'm a child of God, but look what my choice, look at what choice my kid just made that makes our family look bad. <sighs> but instead we could say, therefore, I'm a child of God, therefore I don't have to be afraid or dismayed. I know God is with me. He will strengthen me, help me, and uphold me with his hand. Isaiah 41.10 I'm a child of God, and therefore no weapon formed against me shall succeed. God will disapprove every tongue that rises against me in judgment. Isaiah 54.17 I'm a child of God. Therefore, God is in my midst, a mighty one who will save me. He will rejoice over me with gladness. He will quiet me with his love. He will exult over me with loud singing. Zephaniah 3.17. I am a child of God. Therefore, God's word is there for me. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119. So Lord, we say, let the Holy Spirit remind us of our identity and from that identity breathe new hope, a living hope that love and faith would be updated to the glory of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.